Our God has been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with trees. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whispers. Welcome to The God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I continue to be Bill Swirla. The ever steadfast Bill Swirla. He has been steadfast to being Bill Swirla as long as I've known I'm him. I'm sticking with it. Okay. Well, you know, you know at, if at it's this, working for you, go with at, it. At this, at this age, it's really hard to change. Frankly, it wouldn't work for me being Bill Swirla. <laughs> no. I'm okay with that. Trust me. <laughs> Episode 84, folks. We're Man, coming we're... down to the very end of the Augsburg Confession the supremacy of the Pope. Actually, uh, no, that's no, no, not no, what no, it no. is. It's, it's, it's ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical power. It, but we'll get into the supremacy of the Pope. It, it, it has to do yes. more with the bishops than with anything well, else. Well, yeah, but, but they get uh, their power from the Pope. Don't right. they? Exactly. Uh, if you want to call and leave a message, area code 626-593-7713, 626-593-7713, or... Manly Doctors 13, Bill, email? Godwhispers at gmail.com. And also on the web, where you can also leave your comments at the podcast website. That's godwhispers.org or .com. The interweb. The interweb, yes. You can, hey, you can... I, I haven't told you about this. I, I should have, considering we just had lunch and everything. <laughs> you, you spring this on <laughs> but, me now. <laughs> uh, our, our good friend Damien has, uh, you know, he works for uh, TV stations. He's an engineer guy and everything. Yeah. But he's told us, or told me that he has a desire for the God Whispers to go on shortwave overseas. <laughs> shortwave. And he can... He can facilitate this. He said, you know, people overseas, they don't listen to AM, FM radio. Like they shortwave. shortwave. So who knows, folks? We may be coming Oh, on my shortwave. goodness. For those of you listening in uh, Thailand or wherever you are, you know, we may be on your shortwave <laughs> radio sometime soon. <laughs> Hard to say. Mm. But uh, this, um, if we go on terrestrial radio, I'm a little afraid. I don't know if shortwave is regulated like... Uh, We'll like, find out. Like regular radio. Or not. <laughs> Probably not. I, I, I have a feeling shortwave is every man for himself. Because we, we might have to clean up our act a little no, bit. And, no, that you know, won't being happen. Being Christians, we're, we're opposed to cleaning that, up that, our that act. That won't happen. <laughs> Stop that. That gets, that gets nasty grams. Hey, are you, you watching that. the Olympics? The Olympics are on while we're recording this, love, folks. Love we're two the, weeks out. Here. Yeah, the, we, actually, this, this, uh, this will be uh, broadcast, I believe, in the second week, uh, second full week of Lent, or, or the, you know, you know how the Sundays in Lent go? This will be yeah. the week of the second Sunday of Lent. If I'm not mistaken, as you hear this broadcast, the Olympics will have come to a close. Right. You will have watched the closing ceremonies. The U.S. will have cleaned up in all sorts of medals, and I, you know, I like the Winter Olympics. I actually like them better than the Summer Olympics. I know you're a big except fan for, of curling. Except, yeah, you're a big fan. <laughs> what of a curling. great sport! It's you know, it's it's bocce ball on ice. It's just, <laughs> you know, that's a great way. I've tried to explain it to people, and they and they can't quite wrap their head around it. But I think if I said bocce on ice, they might get it. Yeah, or except croquet, using like sixty pound rocks. You got a big, got a big polished rock and brooms. Brooms. You know, and, and it's like if, if brooms are actually mops, I think. It, I but think they're, they're called brooms. Yeah, they're brooms. And and you know, if you kind of sat and boy, do they 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 go fast with those things oh, yeah. too. You could probably you know wax and polish floors like crazy. <laughs> uh, I'm going to hire some of these people to come over. It's a fascinating. It's it's just a fascinating. It's like watching paint dry is what it is. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually i i i love i love skiing. 
and and I hate to admit it, but I I also I also get a real kick out of the snowboarding crowd. That's an alternative oh, yeah. crowd. Yeah, yeah. They are they clearly are a different sort of athlete. I the was snowboarders watching a Chinese girl do snowboarding last night. I saw her, and she was excellent. But they were talking about how in China this is a firm discipline, and <laughs> and right. they practice for hours yeah. and hours and hours. Whereas the American uh, athletes are like, yeah, dude, all right, let's go. You know, and it's an undisciplined bunch of junior high dropouts. Well, stuff, but know? then again, you watch guys like Sean White going at it, and you don't Amazing. you don't. Don't just do this. You don't no. just go down and do this. You have to be a little nuts. Yeah, and you have to be very athletic. I mean, oh, yeah. the, the stuff Insanely they're doing so. is just yeah. phenomenal. But what I was telling my wife, I said, you know, in a lot of these Olympic sports, it's about the winning. Yeah, this is about the fun. And if you win, that's cool too. Yeah, but yeah. but they, they all say this. You know, they lose terribly, and they're laughing and smiling oh, yeah. and 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 you know, bumping knuckles and 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 saying, "Well, we had a lot of fun." I, I can't think of the girl's name four years ago who was coming down to the end of a race. Jacob said, Ellis. That's it. And she was getting a hot dog at there. Lindsay at the Jacob Ellis. Well, she, she, she did a method grab and landed on her rear end. Yeah. And and got beaten out. Lost and then, the gold. Yeah. Well, and and she lost again this year. And and she was using the same. You know, I'm just here to have fun kind of thing. <laughs> and somebody was just kind of asking, do you ever go to, do you ever try to win? <laughs> but uh, yeah, these the snowboarders are wild. Now I hear you, you've got a new, you, you, you were telling me about your, your favorite sport. <laughs> there's, there's a sport. There are some sports that should not exist. And, and this is, this is so wrong. It's wrong. It's not even so wrong. It's right. It's right. just so wrong. It's wrong. It's wrong. No matter how you look at it. The two man lose. <laughs> Now, these guys are laying on top of each other going 90 miles an hour. This is not right. Who conceived of that? This, uh, you know, this was uh, certainly a sport born in San Francisco or something. I don't know. No, either that or it reminds me of the stunt I used to, you know, when you got your little brother. And and you got this flexible flyer sled and a really long icy hill, and you say, "All right, let's both climb aboard." Yeah, but see, that's okay for prepubescent boys who are kind of dumb. Yeah, but right. these are grown, these are grown men, men, yes, who yeah. weigh you know anywhere from 150 to 210 right. pounds, and they train extensively. <laughs> I'm very comfortable with my sexuality, but I can live with never doing that sport yeah. personally. Well, luge doesn't look like a smart idea anyway, as as the Georgian loser oh, demonstrated. Yeah, that was tragic. But, but well, it could have been worse. It could have been the two man luge going down. You know what? If you got to go, it's not a bad way to go. You are having ninety miles a into blast. a pole. Your hair is on fire, and I got to assume the guy he you was never, squashed like a bug. You never, he never knew, knew what, what hit him. Yeah. I mean, I mean he. One minute he's just screaming down the track. The next minute, maybe he realized he was flying off the track, and then he is in the hereafter wherever he Co- ended up. Competitive there. sport is is strange like that. I mean, people have a people have a. a it's a funny mixed reaction. Yeah, you know, the the games had not even actually formally opened. This was a pre, this was a preliminary run or a training run. This was a training run, I think, Something that he like crashed. That, yeah. And um, yeah, training room. And and so you know, there's all these calls for we whether we're going to go on with the Olympics yeah. or whether we're going out with the luge competition. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you got these moments of silence and all kinds of symbolic acts. And you know, and they're pretty much now they're back in the games again. Yeah, the party to, continues. Yeah, that's right. And but it's it's really strange. And it's kind of a reminder that sports is the surrogate of warfare. Yeah, I was thinking that too. That, uh, you know, it's not like we're going to stop the war because someone got hurt. Right. <laughs> yeah. Someone got hurt. 
Timeout. It it kind of brought that home is that uh, I I believe that that when the Olympics were played, they they basically called a halt to war. Yeah. And and then you, you, you did the Olympics. Now, and, and I'm talking about the ancient games, and and then and then when the Olympics were over, you resumed your war. Right. Yeah. I've always been fascinated by the concept of seasonal war too, yeah, because historically oh, yeah. you you only fought wars when when uh, when when it was conducive to doing weather, so. Yeah. yeah if the weather well, was good. That and, or or uh, sorry, we can't fight right now. We have to harvest the fields. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but the whole idea is okay. Time out. Yeah, just taking a time out. You, you guys go ahead and fight amongst yourselves. After the fields are harvested, we'll join you. <laughs> didn't, everybody, didn't anybody kind of sit back and sort of think, is it worth going out there again? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine that in some of the modern conflicts? Yeah. Take a take a time out and then say, all right, guys, back at it. And say, you know, I'm just not I'm not as motivated as I used to be. I, there's something about this. It's, it's kind of like Wayne's World when they're out there playing street <laughs> hockey and the car comes along. Yeah, game off, and they they you know move the net and everything out of the street, and then car goes by. Game on, and they move the net back out and continue. You yeah. know. Uh, you know We're that's a, that's an interesting take on war. You know, <laughs> we just we we have a totally different concept, but but sport is kind of like uh, you know it's a, it's a metaphor for war, and and especially the Olympics being being still uh, a competition of nations. Although I would say probably less so today. Yeah. Uh, except the Canadians who are trying to prove I don't know what, but uh, Canada's know. the problem. <laughs> They're the problem in the whole world. You know, but I'm not gonna. I, I got too, I got too many friends who are Canadians. I'm not gonna say anything. But mm. I, I have a friend who who lived up there for a while, and I, I said. Oh yeah, they're all polite to your face, but as soon as you turn your back, they say "oot" and "a boot," and, and then they say "zed" and all these other words that you know it's directed at you. You know they're paranoid. Just, they're, are just, you? they're just picking a fight. So, so that. I take it when the two-man luge competition comes on, you switch the channels, you, or you you're, know, you're... I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, but I have a feeling it will be like the train wreck that you can't not watch. You've kind of, you've kind of creeped me out on this one now, and I may have I may be compelled to watch. Now, the the thing that could be worse is in Maybe I'm going to propose this as a new sport. They may not be doing oh, it, no. but the two-man skeleton, because you're going face first, yeah, and you're laying on your stomachs, because then it's extra gay that way. So I'm, <laughs> I'm just saying. You know. Okay. Well, maybe even a three-man. That would be even Stop. more disturbing. Okay. At that point, at that point, then the censors have to kind of come. <laughs> we need an Olympic ruling here. No, you can't do that. And man, you don't want to be the guy in the middle. I'm just saying. I'm telling you, this is going to catch on in San Francisco, big time. The the two man skeleton. Oh, they're coming for us right here. You they can are. hear that. That's it. That's the FCC coming after me right now. <laughs> um, I, I have a piece of, of uh, email unfinished business. I, I don't have the email in front of me, but I remember the exchange, though. But but uh, we uh, we were uh, discussing in the, our Haiti relief show a few uh, episodes ago with um, Reverend Al Culver. Right. Uh, we we got off on a, a digression about uh, the pastors wearing clericals. Wait, wait. We got off on a digression? Yes. Oh, but I digress. Go ahead. You just did. <laughs> That's what I said. Actually, for I us, digress. a digression is just simply, you know, it's, it's just carrying on the usual way. So can we really digress when all we do is digress? That's the question. I think not. Can you be on course when you're perpetually off course? Were, were the Israelites ever <laughs> off course? Since God was guiding them, they <laughs> must have been on bit, course. A little bit of wandering there. Um, 
<clears throat> but uh, somebody wrote in and took took a bit of umbrage with with um, the comments that we had made about uh, clergy wearing clericals and mm-hmm. the implication, perhaps, that they were somehow superior clergy to those who didn't wear clericals mm-hmm. and blah blah blah. And, and uh, I kind of uh, hastened, uh, and I think you know part of it is this this sensitivity is not all traditions, um, you know, even within our own tradition. We, there isn't uniformity about uniforms. I wouldn't say that a pastor who wears a collar is superior. I would say that he's recognizable. Right. <laughs> that's really about it. Right. You know? Yeah, and, and I think that's... But I, I, I think probably... And I don't... I never listened to the audio tape, so I have no idea. But, I mean, but right she, now she I'm seemed, wearing my Humu Humu Nuku Nuku Kahua T-shirt. I'm seeing that, yes. And, and uh, Colorful trigger fish. I, I'm, I'm half in uniform. I'm wearing swir- an swirless. open-collar clerical. And and we all know that I am the superior pastor in the room. Right. So. And 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 a uh, and a Matt Harrison <laughs> autographed safari jacket from Cabela's. Ooh, see with the uh, with the wow. it's got the map of Africa on the inside, like he oh, said. So in case you get lost in Africa, you can find your way home there, right there. Wow, that's pretty that, cool. That is something. That's my. This is my travel uh, coat. It's got like multiple pockets. Every pocket has an assigned. Will, uh, will it help function. you find your way home from Michigan? No, yeah, not, so not at all. Kinda, unless you live in Kenya, maybe then. <laughs> but just to be clear, uh, the clothes the clothes do not make the pastor, and and. Uh, uh, I, I think it's. I, I think you, you and I probably agree that that we do use the clerical as a tool. Yep. Um, so that there are times when I don't wear it because I know I'm dealing with somebody who might be put off by that. You know, the, the whole thing. If you got people who've been sort of really beaten on by institutional church, the mm-hmm. clerical represents something that uh, uh, maybe for them something to be avoided. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, uh, I think. You, you you pointed out when you were walking the streets of New York after nine eleven that there there was uh, something visibly recognizable about your presence and right. people sought you out. They kind of knew what you're there for. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's not to say that uh, your prayers are more effective or are heard more clearly than any others. Uh, none of us knows how to pray. But I, <laughs> so. I might actually be a guy who has an answer, possibly. Maybe. Yeah. And, and and the other thing is there is a downside to wearing the collar is it's a crazy magnet a lot of the time. Oh, it is. But crazy people is father, father, I, I have a hangnail, you know, just weird stuff. And, it's, it's why I, I won't fly in clericals anymore. I There was a time when I used to. I will not any longer. I used to wear them when I flew in hopes that I'd get bumped up to first class. Never <laughs> no, happened. No. No, Never happened. The, the once you were bumped from the plane. <laughs> yeah. So that, and not only that, I'm sure that uh, with the uh, transit authorities and everything, that they're just as likely to strip search you as some guy wearing a turban or something, or yeah. maybe more so. Yeah. Um, I, just I think, to just to prove that they're unbiased. I, I think there's, and and this kind of goes with the 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 doctrine of the priesthood of of the baptized, and that is is that. Uh, and and you've experienced this too, I'm sure, is that God has His secret agents and His subversives all over the place. Yes. And uh, I can't imagine actually that if you were to encounter the Apostle Paul in the streets of Ephesus, that you would know him by his clothing. 
Unless tent makers had a uniform. Well, he yeah. might have been wearing his tent maker union 405 <laughs> t-shirt or something, you know. But, uh, yeah, this gets into the whole business of vestments and everything else. But if we created any impression that this was somehow this was somehow more holy or, or more this, more that, more the other thing, I, that, that was clearly not the intent. I think the only point, is, as you pointed out, was it was easily recognizable. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, it is not the shirt that makes us more holy. I'm just going to. I'd say there was a time when 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 the uh, the Roman Catholic controversies and scandals were uh, were in full blast that uh-huh. that I didn't wear my clericals every yeah, day. Me too. For... And that's that's a time also where I really went to the band collar instead of the little tab. Anything oh, to kind of yeah. distinguish yourself. Yeah. And I think I might have even bought a gray clerical to kind of set myself. Well, and it was and you had it was the, the having embroidered on the back. I'm not Roman Catholic. Went went a long way too. Yeah. Or you know, yeah. I'm married. <laughs> Pastor. <laughs> I always, I always wave Lutheran my church. I try to gesture with my left hand a lot, you know, and show the wedding ring. So that's that's always good, but which throws a lot of people for a loop too. Yeah. Does your wife, uh, when you're wandering around clericals, does your wife like to take your arm or oh, yeah. plant a big yeah, one she, on you or something? That. That's fun. Yeah. I was talking to somebody, and 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 I forgot who it was, but but somebody was saying that 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 their their wife has the opposite. Really, thing. she doesn't want to offend anybody, and so, so, so. I mean, she'll just kind of walk alongside him. And so, so I said, my wife gets a real kick out of you know grabbing my arm, taking my hand, uh, you know, planting a big one on me. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, and, and as a matter of fact, I think it's because of you and your wife that Paula likes to uh, be affectionate when I'm. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Stuff, yeah. So we're responsible for that. <laughs> nice. Now I have a friend who's an Armenian Orthodox priest. His wife only calls him father, which yes. is really creepy. Yes, yes, yes. Really, really creepy. I know. And they have a lot of children, and I'm just thinking, oh, that's odd. No, no, that's no. just really strange. I don't, don't even, even, even my wife calling me pastor would freak me out. Yeah, that you know, I would, I would have a, I would have a major freak out right there. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think Paula has ever called me pastor. Actually, Karen know. refers to me as as uh, when she when she's talking on the phone with say parishioners or anybody about me. Even it, she always refers to me as Bill. Bill, yeah, yeah, or that man, maybe. I'm getting less and less touchy about being called pastor. Too, I used to insist on it years ago. I I, I really couldn't care. We've less talked anymore. about this a little bit. I think I've I've changed in this matter. Yeah. I just it's like ah oh, whatever. Well, you know, I'm involved with the church plant. And uh, my wife is the only lifelong Lutheran in the whole church. And all these people who've come from various denominations and no denominations and no church whatsoever. And um, most people just call me Craig. And I'm okay with that. You know, I mean, it, at first it was a little weird, but uh, now I don't care. You know, I mean, I, I don't think Paul said, uh, you shall call me apostle or anything <laughs> like that. Uh it's apost- I went to apostle school for that. I think you should call me apostle. I mean, he does. He says that's what he is, but but um, it, you never you don't see it as a title though. It's no. just, just Paul. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think so. And this kind of gets into our topic, which is really has to do with office and authority. Wait, wait, wait. We're only eighteen minutes in the program. Good you wanna, point. You want to get on? No, to I'm. Our I'm, topic I'm just. No, I'm just. But I'm saying this is what we will eventually talk about. We've we've talked about the Olympics. <laughs> no <laughs> man lose. Really mentioned bacon yet? Oh uh, yeah, Maybe bacon. We'll say that for the second half. Well, it is Bacon Monday, which is appropriate because that's when our show airs on Pirate Christian that's Radio. Right. So so always celebrate the God Whispers with a nice slab of bacon. A friend of 
bacon. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to tell you, Bill, I found something that is bringing me back to snail mail. It's bacon flavored envelopes. The, the, <laughs> the glue, the glue is bacon flavored. Oh yeah, and I, I can't wait to get my. Set I like of bacon I liked, envelopes. I, you know, I like snail. I just sent out a whole bunch of handwritten notes, and and it was really kind of a nice thing to just sit, sit and write notes, and it was cool. How quaint it was. I was being, I was being kind of a kind of a a Victorian man, uh, you know, kind of. Not Renaissance man, perhaps, but you're gonna get a horse and buggy next. I'm gonna read a lot of P.G. Woodhouse, I think, and <laughs> and uh, you know, kind of sip sherry in my robe and Ooh. and be be like Bertie Wooster, you know, who's just perpetually unemployed and, and no idea who that is. Uh, he's the main character in the Jeeves novels of P.G. Woodhouse, and he's kind of he's perpetually unemployed. <clears throat> Uh, but but he always manages to live in high society. You know, mm. he, he kind of just he he's living off the good graces of relatives and uh, living in all these wonderful co- English country estates and 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 falling in and out of love with various sorts of uh, you know women of you know nobility and and that's so it's good work if you can get it. I, I I'm thinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My wife would have a few objections about that last little. Uh, oh, well, what are you gonna do? You can uh, fall in and out of love with her over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just let's just leave that one just right where it is. All right. How's your Lent going? Lent is uh well, somebody walked off with our purple pyramids at the church. Oh dear. And uh on Ash Wednesday, th- this only makes things worse. Not only did we not have any purple, but I went back to the vestry to put on my alb and my stole and I had realized I took my purple stole home to dry clean it, and I left it there. Man, you were just liturgically so challenged on this. I was completely off. Now, I realize I'm going to get hate mail from some passers out there, comes. but I actually wore a red stole on Ash Wednesday. <laughs> oh, man. Because I, I didn't know what I Why didn't you wear none? Or black? You know, because I'm Do you have fat, black one? and I just, I just like the, the contrast. The and, all white is just not flattering to and, my yeah, figure. Yeah, th- that's right. Let's, let's, let's face it. <laughs> red is so your color. No, red is, You know, I should have wore blue because it really sets off my eyes. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of making me think about figure skating right now. I don't know why it or is. Or two-man luge. Yeah. <laughs> no, not that. Not, not, not that. <laughs> <sighs> Lent, did you do? Do you do the imposition of ashes on Ash Wednesday? Yes, and I'm really having second thoughts about you that. You do, one. yeah. Oh, we differ here. Yeah, I never have. Um, I inherited it, but I wasn't opposed to it until I actually read the gospel lesson. <laughs> and then oh, I was like, uh, yeah, that Matthew hmm. six thing kind of jams things, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, that whole wash your face thing and all that. Yeah, hmm. What, uh, uh, so you know, it's interesting that prior to the 11th century or so, uh, this was a strictly a personal, private, devotional practice. Hmm. The ashes bit modeled after you know a sign of mourning. When somebody right, was in mourning, yeah. you heaped ashes on your head. You didn't just put a little smudge, but it was something you did to yourself and something you did in private. Now it's a crazy homeless thing. <laughs> okay, that, yeah, but, but that's right. Heaping ashes on your head, <laughs> um, and and actually, some of the popes forbade it. As a public practice, really, on the basis of what you just uh, mentioned, the text, yeah. Um, but it's like so many things that that eventually these private devotions, which may or may not be based <clears throat> in anything solid, just become part of the ongoing tradition. Yeah. And uh, so later, 13th century or so, it becomes a public thing, just like the foot washing is another thing, right? right? right. Um, but no, we we haven't done. I, I don't do it for three reasons. One is law. 
dust you are and to dust you to return you you return you know you yeah, shall you're, return you're ending your service on that well well no you do it in the beginning of the service i no, think we do it at the end holy mackerel really that's the end i'm gonna get letters from the liturgy Nazis nice now the rubric nice worshipers. nice nice and and um you know the second and ours is a gospel office and so here you're here you are you know basically you should be you should be wiping this off Hmm. You know, now there's a thought. Um, the the, sec- the second thought is it, it was always a private practice, not a corporate one, and the Reformation threw it out. Interesting. It, very Reformation very clearly threw it out, and you always got to wonder when the Reformation threw something out and we're bringing it back in. Why are we doing this? It's a good good question. You know, and then and I, Chemnitz I paraphrase Chemnitz is not an accurate quote, but Chemnitz says something like, like uh, God desires broken hearts, not sooty foreheads. <laughs> I think this is in his examination of the Council on Trent, where he there's a there is a section on the imposition of ashes amongst the various traditions and customs of the church, and and uh, it's clear the Lutherans didn't do that, and then all of a sudden we started doing it again, and um, I just I just don't see it. I, I see it uh, as uh, as as if anything, it's it's just a it's law with no gospel. Well, I'll play this program for my parishioners next year. There you are. Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now uh, we do individual I, absolutions, so we do an extended corporate confessional service. Where see, we, now that's worthy. We go through each of the ten commandments. They recite the commandment and the meaning, and then I do kind of reflective questions uh-huh. based on that. And then after that, we do a corporate confession, and then they come forward to be absolved individually. Nice. Now that's kind of part and parcel of my office. So that right. is, and, right. and so. Um, of course, you don't see that. There's no smudge on your forehead or anything. It's amazing how there, there are people who think this is really important to do. You, you know, one of the other things that brings to mind is is that uh, at the time of Atticus Epiphany, if I'm not mistaken, they received a smudge of ash from their offerings uh, to the gods so that they could buy and sell, didn't they? Or am I mistaken on hmm. that? I'm trying to remember. You know, you have this Some mark. On, buff you have this mark on the out. forehead as a universal mark of ownership. So there are statues that have of of uh, Roman soldiers that have a a tau, a letter. It's like, it looks like an X or a T, uh-huh. um, actually tattooed on their foreheads. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, you may be onto something there in terms of uh, you know participating in in the 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 civil religion. Right. Which is what got Christians in trouble in the the second third century is they weren't uh, uh, patriotic they weren't participating in the civil religion right. yeah. so uh, and of course the book of the Revelation um, talks about that that mark of the beast the Roman beast huh so um, interesting but yeah. no I wouldn't and, and I don't mean to equate that with the imposition of ashes no that, no no uh, that's, that's, that was just an aside but. It- so I, I don't know. Um, this is this is kind of where I part ways with a lot of the liturgical renewal types who seem to want to resurrect every practice that uh, that the Reformation kind of looked at, and uh, you know I, I kind of trust I trust the Reformation's judgment in a lot of senses that uh, practices that were abandoned probably shouldn't be taken up without really good cause, and uh, I, I would rather people focus on baptism and forgiveness and the body and blood of Christ. I just wonder if it would be worth the hassle to actually get a congregation to stop doing it once they've been used to doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a pragmatic question. I don't know. <laughs> Lent is a troublesome season for me. I, I'm not a real fan of it, but but uh, but it has great hymnody and it has really good readings on the Sundays. And, um, you know, it, it is a time of... of uh, 
uh, increased prayer and and fasting if if that's what you do, and also uh, of giving to the poor. But all of these things should be going on all the time. I, I, it's just kind of a a season where you kind of focus on it more. What I think is missing is is one of the early emphasis on baptism, is hmm. that Lent was a baptismal season and a preparation for the, the final preparation for people being baptized, and it was a catechetical season, so it was intensified uh, catechesis. Well, uh, that leads you up to Easter with confirmation and baptism. We'll be right back after this. We're uh, out of time on this. Overtime, yes. In the morning. I go to sleep at night But a day without snack time That just isn't right Oh, snack time Oh, snack time Hello, I'm Gordon Lightfoot And my favorite snack is pasta Welcome back to the God Whispers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. And I continue to be Bill Swirla. I'm a little sad. I'm a little sad. We're coming <laughs> to the end of the Augsburg Confession. I'm getting I'm, verklempt. I'm feeling nostalgic. Teary-eyed. All right. Well, maybe we should actually talk about it. You know, will the show go on after this? I, I'm sure what, it will, but it just won't be the same. What will we talk about? We'll have oh, to we'll talk, find we'll find something. We'll have to talk more we? about bacon in the future because we won't have the Augsburg <laughs> Confession anymore. God whispers Monday bacon. <laughs> keep keep bacon that Monday. keep that Lenten discipline going now, folks. If you don't have your bacon sandwich while you're listening to us, you're not doing it right. <laughs> you're just doing it wrong. That's Neiman Ranch thick sliced apple smoked bacon. The premier bacon of the God whispers, right there. <laughs> Ecclesiastical power, Article oh, yeah. Twenty Eight. I think it's about time we get to this, don't you? <clears throat> Nah, whatever. This is actually an important article, although probably not for the topic that it takes up. Okay. You know, and that is, I think the most important thing in this article is the distinction of the two kingdoms. That's how it plays out in our day and age, at least. Um, We don't tend to think of the Pope running uh, or the bishops running uh, the state of California or Nebraska. Hardly. Anything like that. Yeah. Uh, Although, see, at Luther's time, that, that was not so obvious yeah that uh you know pope and emperor were closely tied together <laughs> had been tied together since uh since charlemagne and Char- charlemagne was the first of the emperors to be crowned by a pope leo the third yep and uh on and, christmas day oh, december nice. 25th 800 oh, now, that was a that was a, a a pivotal event though yes because it really kind of put the pope in charge and uh you know charles the fifth was very much in in cahoots with the Pope at the time of the Reformation too, so you've got this this issue of of uh, the distinction of the two kingdoms and and the question on the table in article twenty eight is do the bishops by divine right have any temporal or civil powers well uh back at the time of the Inquisition, they sure seem to have uh, a lot of power there well know, i'm not or... sure that, that's church power, but it's church power acting in, as a police force right. Yeah, yeah, but uh, you know that is blurring the lines there for sure. But I think when we talk about the two kingdom principle, the two kingdom theory, that uh, we are 
looking at this from another direction, and that is not the church's power over the state, uh, but what we're distinguishing here is our citizenship as citizens of our world or our country. I don't want to say world citizen because Al Gore would love me if I do that. But uh, citizen of our country, and then we also have a citizenship in the church or the kingdom of God. And so we distinguish the two. Yeah, we sometimes talk about left and right-hand kingdoms. Uh, in, in our parlance, the left hand is the rule of power or temporal law. The state. And the right-hand kingdom is the rule of grace um, or, you know, of Christ. And the church. The, the church, yeah. And, and those two are distinguished. We don't talk about a division of the two because, because, because they coexist. Um, like the, the notion of a separation of church and state is a political theory um, in this country. It, right. But it's not the same as the distinction of the two kingdoms. Uh, the distinction really is one of, of temporality. Uh, one is temporal, one's eternal. And it's also the distinction of the law and the gospel. In the, in the left-hand kingdom, it's a, it's a rule of law. In the right-hand kingdom, it's a, it's a rule of gospel. Okay, so as a churchman, should you be involved in politics? See, that's a, that's a great question, because, because in Article 28, uh, the answer is you may, but recognize that your involvement in the political realm, in the left-hand kingdom, is by human right. It's not tied to your office in the church. Right. It's distinct. And one of the difficult things is trying to keep these two properly distinguished. But, but you know, and, and we've had, we still have, we, we have, we have, clergy types in in uh, public office. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mentioned Al Gore. He was a seminarian at one time. Mm-hmm. Dropped out. Uh, couldn't hack it, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> Too bad he didn't continue. I don't know. <laughs> Might have learned something. Um, yeah, we do. We have various clergymen in, in government, and that's not a problem. I think when people try to rule the state by virtue of their Christianity or something like that, um, we get into a lot of trouble there. And this comes to mind with the uh, Baptist people that got into trouble over in Haiti for trying to spirit the kids out. <laughs> and uh, I kind of get the impression that they didn't realize that they were doing something wrong in the first place. But I also kind of get the impression that maybe some of them were operating under the power of, well, we're doing what's right. And so, you know, forget the law. We're, we're just doing the right thing here. And as Christians, we have the authority to do that. Well, and there's also another possibility, which it came out, uh, most of them were, the cases were dismissed by a Haitian right, judge because right. the parents admitted that they had cut a deal and wanted to get their kids out. Yeah, I so, heard that too. Yeah. And to me, that's the most plausible, well, is, is, that, is that the parents, you know, you've got a situation here where you, you're desperate, and, and what do you do to, for the, the, the best for the well-being of your children? Yeah. Well, one is this opportunity to get them, get them out of this impoverished country, get them adopted somewhere else, and hope maybe you can find them later. I don't know. <laughs> what, what do you do? But, but I, I, I'm very, I would be very surprised if that wasn't the real scenario right. in that. Well, perhaps this is not a good analogy that I brought up, but I have seen those who operate under what they believe to be their divine right uh, and they impose their divine right on others that aren't too concerned with their divine right, and they just kind of do stuff thinking that, well, I'm here by power of God, and so I get to do what I want. The Mormons were big on that in the 1800s. It became legal to shoot a Mormon on site in the state of Missouri because they just walk onto your property and walk off with your cows and say, God gave us this. And so it became such a problem where you could just cap them as soon as they stepped on your property. But... Um, 
you know, See, you had- when it's gone, when it's run amok like that, then you have an issue on that side. On the other side, we do have separation of church and state in America under the First Amendment, and that's to keep the state out of the affairs of the church uh, so that the state can't come in and impose a state religion on us. I think the difference um, between the, the two eras, in the Reformation, uh, the concern was the interference of the church with the state. Right. And, uh, in fact, Melanchthon says that. He talks about that the, the authority of the office of preaching does not interfere at all with government or temporal authority. In our, in our country, the concern was the interference of the state with the church. Right. And so Jefferson had to, had to assure the Danbury Baptist Society that there was a strict wall of separation between church and state under this new constitution and that the, the state would not establish a, a state religion, say, or something like that. Right, and, right. Would, and especially that was a special concern to Baptists who were rather independent of the state. Well, and you have to realize that the main groups that you're dealing with are people who who came from Roman Catholic countries, people who came from England, where the Church of England was ruling, or people who came from various countries, you know, uh, um, Episcopalian, or I just said that one. What was the other one? I'm trying to think of it. Anyway, well, even regardless, you know, you have immigrants from countries who have a state church, and this is one of those things. But even in spite of that, this regulates the federal government more than the state government. Right. The states still had, some states still had an official religion of the state. Most did. Yeah. Most did. And, and <laughs> Is that what? coming out over there? Is that? There we go. I don't know if that Noises. was coming out on the, on the I have, recording I have, or not. I have no idea. If you, if you heard it, it's the Nofrio's board at it. Well, it's, it's my... It's, <laughs> Podcast excellence It's right my here. brain sending the Morse code to the mothership. Is Beautiful. Is. Yeah, you're in, you're in continual contact with the mothership yes. at all times. The, um, so so the, the question on the table with, with the Lutherans, though, and, and, and the Lutheran Reformation, is to what extent does, does the, uh, the papacy and the papal bishops, to what extent do they have temporal authority? The answer is only insofar as it's granted them de jure humano, by human authority. Okay. But they have no divine right to those, to those things. The second thing that this article does is it sharpens or it, it delineates what the actual authority of the office of the ministry is. And that is, it's an authority to forgive sins, it's an authority to preach and teach the the Word of God, and it's an authority to administer the sacraments. Now, there was that unfortunate situation in Geneva where the Calvinists actually had a guy put to death for heresy, and uh, my Calvinist friends don't like to acknowledge that one very often. It was a dark, dark moment in their history. Uh, but, we, we have them in ours, yeah, too. Yeah, and, and I, I'm not using this to beat Calvinists, although our friend Craig is sad that I'm not doing that right now. But uh, <laughs> but here we have a situation where the church and the state blended a little too much, where Calvin was running both the city of Geneva and uh, the church. And it, it was one of those unfortunate things where uh, atrocities happen in the name of the church. This goes along with the Inquisition. Where the the Inquisition, the Inquisitor, seem to have power over life and death. We I, we have shunned that somewhere along the way. We had the witch trials and all the rest in in America back in the day, and and executions done in the name of orthodoxy. Do you have any idea when we turned from this sort of uh, um, you know power of the sword in in the church? I think it kind of dies out. As the culture goes more secular, 
Hmm. Um, in Luther's Germany, for example, you had territorial, you had regional churches. They, they were basically the forerunner of the state church. Okay. And, and you're absolutely right, is, is that a lot of the immigrants, religious immigrants to this country, were fleeing some sort of state church. Yep. Uh, therefore, they were very concerned about the state church. And yet, ironically, when they landed here, they formed their own state church. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Uh, one reason the Lutherans settled in Pennsylvania more than any other was William Penn was not fond of this idea. And so he basically, his colony was was basically, you're free to establish whatever religion you want. Uh, just don't step on anybody else's toes and it's all fine. Uh, but most of the others had, uh, they had official state sponsored religions and if you you had to be a member of the church to participate in the state as well well and that's rhode island was founded by the baptists because they were fleeing persecution in massachusetts for mm-hmm. the most part yeah so but but i think as 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 um as the culture becomes more secular uh, then then the the role of religion sort of recedes and it, or it finds its own place somewhere else and we tend to be rather privatized about our religion Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't think of religion in terms of national identity. It's not like Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, uh, you know, English and the Anglican Church and things like that. We we uh, we tend to to view our being American and our religious life completely separate. You know, hmm. they're, they're not tied together at all. Um, I think the important thing when we're looking at this article is is that. Uh, we we recognize that the authority of bishops or pastors or whatever is is an authority um, that derives from Christ. It's it's the authority to preach the gospel of Christ, to forgive sins in the name of Christ, and to administer baptism in the Lord's Supper uh, according to His institution. Uh, it, it it coincides with what Jesus said that my kingdom is not of this world. And so the reign of Christ on earth, which is manifest in the church, does not interfere with the kingdoms of this world. Isn't that funny that uh, when people would spew some sort of weird heresy in front of Jesus, he never said, kill him. That wasn't his inclination. His inclination was more of, I'll die for that one also. You know, and he says this remarkable thing to Pilate when Pilate <laughs> says, you know, don't you realize that I have the authority to put you to death or to free you? And he says, you'd have no authority at all except had it been given you from above. So in other words, you know, that he recognizes Pilate's authority of government as God's authority. Well, and as the vicar of God on earth, the papacy then could claim this authority by their own reasoning and, you know, logic that way, right? Well, I mean, the, the papacy at, at one time, I don't know if they still hold to it formally, but but at one time claimed uh, to hold the keys to both kingdoms on earth and the key to heaven, too, for that matter. Right. And, and so, you know, it was basically the whole, the whole deal, which is why 13th century, it was necessary for salvation for every living creature to be under the, the, the uh, headship of the pope. Hmm. Um, now, you know, part and parcel in this article is, is also an affirmation that the, uh, the bishops do not have the authority to create new laws, whether in the civil realm or in the church. And, uh, and, and yet at the same time, we say that, uh, that uh, for the sake of love and good order, we ought to obey the bishops. So, so, you know, as long as they're not binding consciences, so long as they're not saying, uh, you know, you must do these good works in order to be saved, um, our counsel in Article 28 is, is to, to uh, basically obey the bishops as long as it doesn't interfere with the gospel. 
Well, and isn't that pretty much under the table of duties what parishioners owe their pastors right, as well? Right. Yeah, it's it's not just it's not an obedience so long as it's in accord with the word of God. It's an obedience so long as it's not contrary to the word of God. Uh, and that includes things that that are are what we call adiaphora as well. You mm-hmm. know, the things that are not clearly they're they're neither forbidden nor commanded in the scriptures, but for the sake of love and good order, we just say yeah, whatever, and we all do the same thing. You know, <laughs> uh, not as not by way of law, and we all recognize that, or hopefully do, but but for the sake of just good order and peace and harmony. Um, I think it would surprise many Lutherans today to realize that that. Uh, uh, the Lutherans of the Reformation were more than willing to coexist, even under the papacy, providing right. that they were free to preach the gospel and administer the sacraments, which, of course, they weren't. Yeah, Luther made it very clear that he was willing to bow his knee to the Pope if the Pope would bow his knee to the gospel. <laughs> pretty well, much what it broke down to. You know, the same author, Philip Melanchthon, takes up the same topic in much greater detail in that confessional writing, the treatise on the power and the primacy of the Pope which is a two-part treatise. The first part deals with the authority of the Pope, and he, he totally refutes the idea that the Pope has any ecclesiastical authority mm-hmm. um, you know, by divine right. And then secondly, he looks at the bishops and the office of bishop, and he concludes that the office of the bishop is no different than the office of pastor in, in one's own congregation, uh, except that the bishop, by human arrangement, has been given supervisory authority. Yeah, but, th- but that's really it. And, uh, you know, this answers the big question at the time of the Reformation. How do you get pastors when the, when the bishops won't ordain anymore? Well, the uh, Church of Prague had a unique way of dealing with that one, is, uh, or the Bohemians, rather. Um, they sent off their young men to be uh, examined and ordained by the bishop, and then they came back and renounced their, pa- their uh, Roman Catholicism and... Uh, Served as Lutheran pastors. <laughs> well, no, 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 not not as Lutherans. Those were the Hussites, the the Calistines. They they went to Venice and they they were asked um, because the big thing was for a hundred years before the Reformation they were they were communing under both kinds with the with the chalice. See, and and so the the Venetian bishops would grill them and say you're only going to you to commune under one kind, right? And mm. they said yes, sir, with both both fingers crossed behind their backs. Got ordained and went back to Prague and and then carried Communed on. Both with, yeah, they, you're right. Were, they were Hussites. I those were the Hussites. Yeah. And but they asked Luther. They said, is this is this a good way to be doing things? And Luther says, heck no. Uh, you know you don't you don't do that. And he basically counseled them in 1523 to to uh, choose. Uh, you know, suitable men to serve as, as pastors, ordain them, and henceforth they could ordain others. But he kind of bootstrapped the ministry. That's at least what he proposed. Mm-hmm. And well, that's pres- where he said that it was better to go a lifetime without communion than to take it wrongly and, yeah. and to uh, be deceitful about it like that. Right. Well, actually, the, the thing he was concerned there was that, that uh, parents or fathers would just simply have communion at home in private, and he, right. did, he didn't want that either. But uh, the, actually, the Senate at Prague never never took Luther's suggestion. They just kept going, doing what they were doing. But the the, uh, the same principle then is in the treatise in the power of the primacy of the Pope, which Melanchthon wrote a few years after the Augsburg Confession, uh, where he basically says, when the bishops are so wicked that they won't ordain pastors for the churches, then the authority to call and ordain always resides with the church, and the church is compelled to ordain. You know, elect and ordain and call its own pastors. Now, that's the way we go about it by doctrine in the LCMS, pretty much, is that the the authority comes from the church, not from the 
district or the district president or whatever. But there seems to be a recognition of the authority of the district and and the synod in the ordination of our guys also. Well, ordination was always transparochial. I think the way I understand ordination was it was a way of saying that this person, this man, is recognized as pastor in this place outside of this place. You know, it's kind of an, an, uh, an extra nose, an outside of ourselves reference point. And so the congregation may have called him, but they receive him from the outside. And, and, and he has the testimony of fellow clergy and other congregations and other bishops that, that he is, that his call is in order and he's recognized as such. He is the Dakimoi Fanaroi, or of the Dakimoi Fanaroi, the tested and approved ones. Right. And, and so the, the, the whole idea was that, that uh, other clergy bore witness to that and ratified the call. Hmm. Yeah, and and, that's, and that's, that's still fine. I think that's part of being in a fellowship or in a church body or a yeah. synod or something we, like we that. Bind ourselves together by certain things mm-hmm. like that, but but recognize that if, if for some reason the district or the synod start refusing to ordain, then the, the treatise kicks in again. And says that the congregation, that, that, that authority always resides in the gathering of believers. It, it does not reside in some superstructure above uh, the congregation. Well, and this also goes back to the doctrine of the church. What is the church? Is, is the church the big headquarters in Rome or St. Louis or wherever? Or is the church the local congregation? And according to our confessions, the church is pretty much basically where God's people gather around word and sacrament. That's church. Yeah, Apart it, from that, it's not really church. Or essentially, that is the church in its essence, is that it's a gathering of believers around the action of the word. Right. You know, the preaching of the gospel, the administration of the sacraments. And it's not institutional, Right. essentially. Uh, it has institutions, and institutions will be created to serve that. But that's a little bit different than saying that's the church. The institution is by voluntary association of the church. How's that? Um, say that again. <laughs> the institution is by voluntary association ah, yeah, 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 yeah. by the church. We, yeah, it, we, we voluntarily agree to be part of what we call the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. If the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ceased to exist, Mount Olive Lutheran Church or Holy Trinity Lutheran Church would still go on, and and we aren't defined by the denomination that we belong to as much as we are defined by the Word of God as a church. Right. And, well, the thing is, and the institution itself is we made it up. We, we made it up and we make up the rules. Yep. And, uh, and it is. It's, it's a, it's a, it's, you are free to associate. You're free not to associate. Yep. And your non-association with a particular church body doesn't make or break whether you're the church or not. What makes or breaks that is the preaching of the gospel, the administration of the sacraments. Right. Um, but that's, that's, the Luth- that's the Lutheran understanding of the church, and therefore it will be the Lutheran understanding of the office of the ministry and the office of bishops, that their proper work is to preach the gospel and administer the sacraments. Um, there's a common misunderstanding that says that... that, uh, that it um, that forgiveness or life or salvation or something comes only through this office. Uh, it goes back to let's see if I can find it here. Um, paragraph eight: This power of keys or bishops is used and exercised only by the teaching and preaching of the Word of God and by administering the sacraments um, to many persons or to individuals, depending on one's calling. These gifts cannot be obtained except through the office of preaching and of administering the holy sacraments. For St. Paul says the gospel is the power of God for salvation 
uh, to everyone who has faith. This is sometimes interpreted by people as as only um, a pastor preaching works, right? Or or that only a pastor can forgive sins, or only a pastor can impart salvation. I don't think this is what this says in 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 reference nine. But even in our day and age, this has become uh, error in our midst with some who would go as far as to say that parishioners shouldn't even read the Bible at home because it, the word only has effect when there is a pastor present. Yeah, I, I don't know if anybody goes to the extreme that parishioners shouldn't read the Bible. I've at heard home. a few. Um, I, I, I have. Crazy. I've heard. I have heard that the, you know one's played against the other. That that it's not effective. Uh, you know, it's important to read the Bible, but it's important to read the Bible so that you're prepared to hear the sermon, which is what's really the effective Word of God, is, is the way I've heard it. And, and you know, there are others. But I think, again, these gifts cannot be obtained except through the office of preaching and administering the sacraments. I believe this notion of a ficium here, office, is not referring to the office of the ministry. It's referring to these activities, the activities of preaching the gospel and administering the sacraments. These are the means by which um, you know, God works faith because they're forms of the word. Uh, it's not restricting. It's not restricting these activities to the office per se, as some sort of uh, um, abstract entity or, or something like that. And the reason I say that is that um, the word officium means both office and function. Okay. Okay. And an office is is by definition, it's it's. Authority and responsibility, or authority and function. You are given permission to do these things. You have you have authority to execute these things. But what's argue, what's being argued here is what functions do the bishops properly have? You know, this is not a defense of the office in Article Twenty Eight. This is dealing about what's the proper function of bishops as bishops, and the answer is preaching, teaching, administering the sacraments. Hmm. And, and so what would distinguish them from your local pastor priest? No, uh, bishops and, and your local pastor? Yeah. Nothing except supervisory authority, okay. which is usually translated as ordination, uh, because ordination is that transparochial, big picture, outside the congregation thing. But that's by human arrangement. We've decided this is good to have somebody over us to keep an eye on us who's not bogged down in specific parish activities. Now this, this, and I think personally, it's a good idea. This brings up the question of: Is there a form of church structure, a polity, that is prescribed in Scripture? And and your answer would be no, no, there there isn't. I mean, there are examples. Yeah, there are at least two kinds described, but not and, really. And they derive from the synagogue because they didn't start with a blank slate either. Right. They just said, "Hey, you know, we know how this works." Uh, because the synagogue was was a gathering around the word, right? So you know the, this this was not a big deal to them. Well, you do have in Scripture a presbytery kind of described, and you have an episcopacy described mm-hmm. of but sorts. It, but it all it all sort of comes from a synagogue structure, you know. And 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 yeah. but but is it prescribed that way? No, it's described that right. way. Yeah. And so we we run into trouble a lot when we start taking descriptions and make them prescriptions or proscriptions or. However. Well, I'll tell you where I think our problem is though is is there is no, uh, and I, when I say our, I mean we in the Lutheran Church is there is no um, accountability. You know, the, there, there's no in 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 every in every organization you you worry about lines of authority, answerability, accountability. There's no no accountability. Who's the pastor accountable to? 
If you make the shepherd <laughs> accountable to the sheep, then you've got a big problem. Right. On your hands. And unfortunately, that seems to be more common than not today because the sheep hold the checkbook. Mm hmm. <laughs> so they got the shepherd over a barrel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and how's Lutheran... he supposed to? How's he supposed to rebuke sin? And and how's he supposed to you know preach the law and the gospel in all of its severity and power if uh, these are these are the very people who then sit in judgment over over what he's doing? Yeah, don't don't alienate the Smith family. They're the number one givers in the church, mm-hmm. and this is why I personally try to never know what people give to the church, so I don't deal with them like that, you know, as as little as possible. But it's kind of hard not to when they show up wearing the Rolex and driving the Mercedes and all the rest. You notice things, you know. The, the other question that I would have is, is how can people judge doctrine if they themselves do not know doctrine? Yeah. Now, this isn't to diminish what the laity know, but let's face it, uh, you know, the, there is a point in going to school for four or five, six years, you know, beyond college. There's a point in knowing biblical languages. There's a point in studying the confessions in depth and knowing their historical context. Uh, who judges the work of a physician? Other physicians do. Right. Uh, not patients, especially not patients who are pissed off at their doctor. Uh, and, you know, who's in a position to judge doctrine in the church? It's, it's, it's other doctors of the church. Well, I've made this comment several times before. My dad was a doctor, and I hung out with a lot of doctors. And I never heard a doctor, as soon as they made another doctor, say, how many patients do you have? <laughs> Well, yeah, that's right. You know, I mean, you just wouldn't talk like that. But when you meet pastors, you hear that question an awful lot. And not only is it uncouth, it's it's taking your eye off the mark completely. You know, I would ask, have you told your people that they're forgiven in Christ Jesus this week? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, I'd say, good, you're a good pastor. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, in, in order to be able to judge doctrine, it would seem to me that it, it makes sense to have, it makes sense to have supervision and accountability. And, and I think we've created a really bad situation in our churches where we don't have that kind of supervision, where each is left kind of to do what's right in his own eyes. And I think that's where we've got the problem we've got today. All this will be cured in the hereafter. We're out of time. We'll see you next time. <laughs> On the God Whispers. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. He taught me how to live my life as it should be. He taught me how to turn my cheek when people laugh at me. I've had friends before, and I can tell you that. He's one who will never leave you flat. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. I have a friend in Jesus. Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a friend of mine. He taught me how to pray and how to save my soul. He taught me how to praise my God and still play rock and roll. The music may sound different, but the message is the same. It's just an instrument to pray.